Welcome to the Hughes of Leadership podcast, where we dive deep into the many prominent aspects of leadership. How does leadership show up in each of us, and how do we seek to have a positive influence on the lives of others? Just like hues vary, so does how we show up as leaders and how we may flex different hues depending on the moment, the task at hand, or the individual or team we're engaging. What hues are you using today, and which will you seek to further develop? I'm your host, DJ Menifee, a chief enrollment officer and a leadership practitioner in higher education. And I look forward to diving into the hues of leadership with our guest. In season two, we're focusing on extraordinary impactful leadership moments, specifically those that played a critical role in shaping the leader our guest has become or continues to become. Season two is inspired by the book, The Power of Moments by Chip and Dan Heath, why certain experiences have extraordinary impact. I highly recommend it if you haven't had a chance to check it out. So without further ado, let's get to guest introductions. Our next guest became the 19th president of St. Lawrence University, a nationally ranked liberal arts college in Canton, New York in July of 2021. She joined St. Lawrence community after 24 years at Butler University, last serving for over nine years as the provost and the vice president for academic affairs. She earned her undergraduate degree in psychology from Gettysburg College and completed her master's and doctoral degrees in social psychology at the University of Texas at Austin. And lastly, since 2015, she has served on the board of trustees at Gettysburg College. So without further ado, let's welcome our next guest, Dr. Kate Morris. Hey, Kate, how are you today? How are you? It's so good to be here. Thank you for the invitation. And it's nice to see you again. Fantastic. Well, it's always a, a pleasure to share space with you. And we are so thankful that you are willing and available, uh, given the responsibilities that you have to lead an institution to share some of your leadership journey with us. Um, so we're very thankful for that. Well, thank you for the invite. It means a lot. So for our audience, Kate and I had the chance to connect and prepare and to think critically about the type of leadership moments that have helped shape the leader she's become and, and what she thought would be helpful for our audience today. And so we've got three amazing stories to share with you that we'll dive into. And so we're gonna go ahead and get started and we're gonna start with the first leadership moment. This first leadership moment is under the theme of quiet leadership. So, Kate, I'm going to turn the keys over to you. What's the story behind quiet leadership and how has it continued to shape you as a leader? Yeah, thanks, DJ. So I decided that for my first moment, I would choose literally the first moment, um, the first moment where I ever thought to conceptualize myself as a leader. And this takes me back to college. And that was about 35 years ago that I was a college student and things were a little bit different then that they, than they are now in a variety of ways. If there was a lot of intentional conversation about leadership development for students at that time, I was unaware of it. I remember distinctly, I'm assuming it was my senior year, but I went to my mailbox. So this was during that period of time that colleges wrote letters on paper to their students at their student mailboxes. And I go to my mailbox and I see this letter. Essentially, it's telling me that I was selected for a leadership award and therefore was being invited to the big award celebration that spring. It was a quiet leadership award. And I remember standing there thinking, why am I getting this award? You know, if I think about what I did in college, I was very focused on my academic studies. I was very focused on doing the things I needed to do to get into graduate school quite involved in the psychology department as a teaching assistant, was a research assistant, and I had been asked to do a senior thesis. 
which was a very uncommon thing for students then. I worked in the admissions office as an intern. I was always an orientation leader. My senior year, I was a part of the, the lead team on the student side that led orientation. But I never held a real leadership role on campus. I was not a leader in the student government organization. I was not a captain on a sports team. I didn't have anything that was that would count as you know, recognizable direct leadership. And here I was getting this letter saying that I had been selected to receive this award for my quiet leadership, my quiet influence on campus. And that meant a lot to me. And it was one of those moments where somebody saw something in me that I didn't know was there myself. And truly, it was the first time I ever thought, wow, someone thinks I'm a leader. What does that mean? You know, what does that mean for me? And as I've gone through the rest of my life, gone through my career, I've been brought back to that moment, not so much for what it means for me as a leader, but the fact that it means as a leader, I need to make sure that other people see in themselves what I see in them to cultivate a community of leaders. So one of the things that I do as an intentional practice is at the end of each semester, I sit down and I think to myself, who did a really good job? And I write handwritten notes that are not just quick thank yous, but longer notes kind of detailing what I saw in that person that year and my gratitude for their good work. And I send those handwritten notes to people. That's my version of that letter that I got as a senior in college where somebody said, I see you and what you're doing has impact. Thank you for, for sharing that experience. And, you know, for the audience, the, the threads that stood out for me, Kate, in that, in that dialogue was one, the power of, of acknowledgement, how one can feel when somebody acknowledges something that they see in them that they may not always acknowledge or understand or see themselves. The other thread that stood out to me, which you called out um, and gave some broader context to, um, was just that being able to see something in someone maybe before they see it. And then the other piece that I, I recognized was this notion of how you can have influence and it doesn't have to be loud. You don't have to have a formal position. You don't have to have formal direct reports. Uh, to have a level of influence. And so uh, during my time of, of reading over the years, um, there's a book called 360 Degrees of Influence that kind of resonated when you were sharing that experience. But I also thought about the 360 uh, Leader book by John C. Maxwell, which was one of my first leadership reads. And the reason why it stood out to me at that time was because I, I didn't have a formal leadership position, but but had the aspiration and the interest to to see myself and to contribute in that capacity. And so for our audience, if you are a leader and you're in a leadership capacity, formal or informal, be mindful of what you see in others. Um, I think John C. Maxwell would call it the level five leader in the sense of this notion of being able to lead and cultivate other leaders. And so I think Kate, you have acknowledged that you're in a position to continue to do that in your community. And so I just wanted to be able to pull those threads to and to and to acknowledge them. Yeah, I really like that, DJ. And it's consistent with something else that I firmly believe in, which is that mentorship happens in 360 degrees as well as leadership. For a while there, I was really interested in this notion of lateral mentorship, where you simultaneously mentor other people at your same level and 
are mentored by people at your same level. But I have since expanded that even more. We have a lot to learn from our students, for example, in higher education. We have a lot to learn from our youngest employees, our newest employees. That notion of leadership and the corresponding notion of mentorship happen in all different directions. Thank you. And, and one other thing I want to go back to, and you may have visually seen me, which our audience wouldn't be able to visually see me do this, but as you were talking about the time you take to write handwritten notes, I wanted to, to share something with the audience, and obviously I can visually show you, but here are a few handwritten notes that have been impactful to me in my journey. And one is from a colleague that, that you may know well, uh, who is currently the vice president of enrollment at Butler University. And it was a note that she wrote to me in my transition to this role uh, the day before I transitioned. And it has been motivational to me. It's been inspiring me. And when I have some tough moments, sometimes I'll reflect on it. And the other is from a colleague uh, who has a similar role at the University of Vermont. A shout out to Jay Jacobs. Uh, but we happen to be in similar experiences at similar conferences. And he took the time to write a note to share how I've inspired him as a leader. And so that just was really meaningful to me because I don't always think about the ability to have that level of impact on somebody that might be in a like position in a like role uh, in a different community. And so to our audience, yes, technology is a thing. Um, it, it moves and it continues to grow and it's fast, but never underestimate the power of a handwritten note. Absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes I feel like I ought to do it more, but it's not as special when you do it more. I have those notes too. And I love that you've got one from Lori that you still hold on to. I have those from my former boss, Jim Danko at Butler, um, that are very meaningful to me as well. And I hope that I can pass that onward to other people. So we're going to transition this at this point, Kate, to our, our second leadership moment. And the second leadership moment is under the auspice of what we would call courage. So again, I'm going to turn the keys over to you, Kate, and please just talk a little bit about that story and how that's impacted your leadership. Courage is something that is necessary for lots of situations in leadership. I'm really thinking here about the courage to shut something down when it's not working and to do that as swiftly as you possibly can when it's not working. And perhaps especially when it's your own idea that's not working. The first time that this happened to me was probably at my previous position when I was serving as the provost and leading a search to identify an academic dean and discovered that as we got to the end of that process, we really did not find the right person to serve in that role. And I remember the anxiety on everyone's faces when I met with the faculty at that college and said, we didn't find our person. We're going to suspend this search. Now, you know this, DJ, in higher education, we call that failing the search. It's not really failing it. It's just saying we didn't get the right person. So we're going to put it on hold. We will suspend it and we will ultimately find the right person. I did that several times at Butler and every time I did it, um, there was that look of anxiety when I was telling people we were not going to proceed with hiring whoever was the best of the strong group of candidates that we had, because you can be a strong candidate and still not quite be the right fit. The scary thing in that, of course, is 
well, what if the next time around you still don't find somebody? What if someone you said no to this time around turns out to be better than anybody you find the next time around? You can understand the anxiety as a leader to make that decision, but you also can understand the anxiety of the people that you're responsible for leading when you make that decision. Uncertainty is very unsettling. And uh, I recently did this here at St. Lawrence, actually, where we were looking for a vice president and we had some good, strong candidates, but they weren't quite right for what we needed. And that right person, right institution, right time really matters. It is important to have the fortitude to say we didn't get it right. Now, that courage moment um, has spoken to me, particularly in these situations where you decide to stop a search. But it's not just that. Without going into a whole lot of detail, I will also share that here at St. Lawrence and our senior staff, which is what we call our president's cabinet or executive committee group, we had a process that we put in place. It was actually my idea because it was similar to something I had used in the past, and it worked very well at my previous institution. But it became very apparent that it was not working well in our context, and I could see the harm that it was causing And it was something that people were kind of working through because guess what? I was the one who had the idea. I brought it forward. I wanted to see it happen. And it wasn't working. And I had a few key people come to me and say, this is not working. I could see it was not working. And I walked into the senior staff group and I said, on the recommendation of others in this group, we are stopping this. We didn't know, and we still actually don't know what we're going to do from a process perspective next. Uh, And so that's that discomfort in not knowing because there's not clarity there on what the new process is going to look like. But when one process is not working and when it's making it even more difficult for people, you have to be willing to acknowledge that and say, nope, didn't get this right. We're going to stop that. We're going to chart a new course. Don't know what it is yet, but we'll do it together and we'll figure it out. Those are the moments of some of the many moments of courage that you need to have. Hey, I uh, feel selfish in the moment because I resonate with so much of what you just shared. And so if I can kind of unpack some of those pieces, you know, one to those that are leading searches that might be in our audience, it's okay to think about culture. It's okay to think about fit. It's okay to think about match. And if those things aren't there, it's not just simply finding the best of who's in the pool. Uh, There's so many other things, short-term and long-term, that you need to think about. And so I think that is okay to do. And likewise, I've had experiences where uh, I've had to, and I'm going to start using your language, Kate. Um, So I am borrowing your terms where I've had to suspend searches uh, a few different times because what we had in the pool and what we got out of the finalists uh, for a variety of reasons, whether they weren't quite prepared. And you have to then say, well, how much energy would we need to put into this individual to get them there? And how long would that take? And is that kind of work for the community? And the other piece is thinking about, hey, if this is going to be a a person who I'm directly responsible for leading uh, and guiding and partnering with, what is our working relationship going to be like? Are we going to be a good fit for each other? Um, You can have all the other aspects and all the other strengths but that's another piece that's a key relationship that would lead towards success. And that's got to be um, something you perceive to be strong as well. So I really appreciate you, you sharing that. The other thing that I'm pulling out of your of your narrative is this notion of acknowledging, and I've said this in the in the first season of the podcast in a couple of different instances, being the leader 
or a leader in a, in a very high position does not equate to perfection. And I think sometimes we as leaders can feel like we have to always get everything right or are those that we are responsible for leading may perceive that in order to get to these levels of leadership, that everything has to work hundred percent of the time and it doesn't always work that way. And so I think it's a value and a bonus in leadership when you can be humble to say, Hey, we took a calculated risk. We thought something was going to work. It didn't. And now we're going to own it, acknowledge it and then pivot. And so even if to your point, the, there's some more uncertainty in the journey down the street or down the road or down the path, to me, those are key leadership qualities to be able to raise your hand and say, Hey, I, I tried something from another experience. This is one of those instances where one size clearly doesn't fit all. It doesn't work. I acknowledge that I took a calculated move. All right, we're going to stop, but we don't quite have that journey yet, but let's, let's navigate that journey together. To me, that is an amazing story that that highlights a very strong hue of, of leadership in my lens. Yeah, I think you could probably do a whole podcast episode on this issue of admitting mistakes in leadership. There are different philosophies about that, of course. And I have known leaders and worked with and for leaders who have a variety of opinions about this from people who believe firmly that one should never acknowledge when they have made a mistake to people who freely admit their mistakes. Well, and I'll, I'll add an, another separate podcast idea to that, which I will keep in mind, by the way, we may be coming back to you in the future, Kate, is the other piece of being a leader and the willingness to acknowledge when you don't know something. Because again, there can be this perception that because we've gotten to some of these roles that we've been blessed to have, that we we know everything to the depths uh, in each area of responsibility that we have, not necessarily acknowledging that sometimes the opportunities that we are presented with is that others see potential in us that doesn't necessarily equate to expertise. Those are things that can be developed and cultivated over time. And I never thought about this until just this moment, but um, both in terms of acknowledging when you've made a mistake and when you don't know something, working in higher education is really beneficial because the whole point of higher education is personal improvement, right? And um, so maybe these leadership elements look really different in higher ed settings than they do in non-higher ed settings. I don't know. I've not worked outside of higher ed, but we are all about learning from your mistakes. That's what we teach our students every single day. If we can't model that, then perhaps we're not the right leaders for this kind of setting. And I'll end on hashtag lifelong learning uh, for our audience on that one. Right, right, indeed. <laughs> so now, audience, we're going to transition to our, our third leadership moment. Uh, and this one is themed under the auspice of authentically you. And so again, Kate, I'm going to turn the keys over to you to walk us through uh, this narrative and how it shapes your leadership. Yeah. So this um, this is a situation that happened when I was a candidate for the job that I now occupy as the president here at St. Lawrence. And through that process, I talked a lot with three people, my uh, husband, my mom and my dad, all of whom happened to be career professionals in higher education. So they were really good mentors and support people for me as I was going through this process. But I remember distinctly talking with one of them. I don't remember who it was anymore, but I was talking about one of my interviews and a question that I was asked and the way that I answered the question. And whoever it was, whether it was my mom, my dad, or my spouse said, 
oh, do you think you should have really said that? I'm not sure that's what they wanted to hear. Maybe you should have said something more along the lines of what they wanted to hear. And my reaction to that in the moment, uh, and no one had given me this advice or anything, so I'm very grateful that I figured it out. But in the moment, I said, you know what? The worst possible thing would be to get this job because I said something that wasn't true to me but that was something that I thought they wanted to hear because that authenticity of person, who you are, the type of leader you are, what you think, even what you think about that institution, what you know about it as a candidate, if you start saying things to get the job rather than to do the job, you might end up in a very unpleasant situation. And I haven't been involved in that many searches in my life because I followed a very typical go be a faculty member and move through that role. So I did compete to be a provost once and I've now competed to be the president. But I really believe that authenticity is important in lots of different ways, but especially when you're trying to compete for a new position. You do not want to get into a position because you told them what you thought they wanted to hear. You want to get into that position because the hiring officials, the hiring committee, they are in the best position to decide if you are the right person at that place at that time. As candidates, we tend to think about what we did wrong when the reality is we might not have done anything wrong. It's just that there's something about the needs of that institution at that moment in time where you are not the best match. And you have to extend faith to that process that the people on the other side of the process know something that you don't know as a candidate. And I think that also helps you to not feel as bad if you don't get a job that you're very interested in. But I'm very grateful that I came to that conclusion that the most important thing is to be me and to speak my truth, even if I felt, and there were times where I felt that my answers were probably not what the search committee wanted to hear. And I don't know if it was or wasn't what the search committee wanted to hear, but they thought I was the right person for the job, for which I am grateful, obviously. So authenticity. Another one in terms of, of the resignation for me and, and, and how it aligns with some of the experiences that I've had. And, you know, one of the practices that I've tried to adopt is as I've navigated the the process here um, almost four years ago now, what I started to do was at the mid-year assessment point for those that I directly supervise, as well as in the annual performance evaluation, one of the things I reflect on with them is when I was coming through this process, this is what I said, is this still accurate for you? While also being willing to acknowledge if there's been a pivot and to acknowledge why the change has happened. And so when I think about this notion of authenticity, it's carrying it all the way through. It's through the search process, feeling like you can be yourself because you want them to truly have a sense of, of who they would be getting um, versus making it sound good and sound nice so you can give the opportunity all the way to actually being in the role and saying, this is what I said I would do. This is how I said I would show up. Is my are my actions consistent with that? Um, and over time, if there is some adjustment, to be able to acknowledge that, and then to be able to say, and this is where the adjustment has come from, and I can still be, or our audience members, you can still be your authentic self while acknowledging that, hey, maybe maybe new information has been presented to me, and that is why I am pivoting. 
while still being able to be true to who I am uh, and true to the foundation of what makes you you or what makes me me or what makes KK. And so I really appreciate you you sharing um, that journey. And I also, the other piece I want to hit on is for our audience members that you really highlighted really well is this, it's okay to be competitive. I, I will acknowledge I have been a part of a f- few other searches in comparison to, to Kate in my journey, but I am a competitor. And so while there is that sense of being able to acknowledge maybe something is or isn't the right fit, it doesn't mean that you don't want to be selected and you don't want to be seen as great. But it's also okay to understand that separate from what may not be a good fit for you, it's always a two-way street and it may not be a good fit for that organization. Even if you are good and prepared uh, at what you do, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's the direction or the path that that organization is going to head in. Um, And maybe some of the things they're looking for, maybe some of the other candidates presented that in a different way uh, that were more in alignment with their values or where they were headed. And it just means that there's another opportunity that may be meant for you. And that wasn't the opportunity and it wasn't the time. Yeah, both of those things that you just shared resonated with me also, DJ. When you are consistent after you get the job or you're consistent with what you've said as a candidate, that helps to smooth things to make sure that you have a smooth transition into that new job. And you can, it was really smart what you said. You can reflect back and you can say, I told you this as a candidate. Um, this is how I feel. Also very smart to say, and this is what's changed. I may have said this in the past, but now I know this other thing and that has changed the way that I'm showing up or the way that I'm thinking about. We all as human beings want to be selected. And when we're in a job search, we do want to be competitive. We want to be chosen, but it's it's almost seductive You that you want to be chosen so badly that that can cloud your ability to decide whether it's the right job for you. We have to watch out for that in that search process, I think. I concur 100%. And so for our audience, Kate and I have had the chance to walk through some amazing leadership moments through the lens of quiet leadership, through the lens of courage, and through the lens of being authentically you, what that could mean. And so Kate, as we get ready to transition to a close, You know, if there were some words of wisdom that you could give our audience as they are in a seat that may be similar to yours, regardless of the type of organization, for-profit, non-profit, outside of the higher ed sector, or maybe they have aspirations to to become a leader, formally or informally, you know, what words of wisdom would you provide them? I would say that leadership is hard and it's really important to take care of yourself. And maybe this is do as I say and not as I do somewhat, but I do try to take care of myself. Figure out what it is that provides you with a sense of calm. What is it that provides you with the opportunity to reflect on the why, why you are doing what you're doing as a leader? Because those things are really important. It's important to take care of yourself in order to be able to have have the emotional and the physical bandwidth to do what's necessary in leadership roles. So for me, that's a lot of walking my dog every day and having some quiet time to reflect every day, which is not easy to build into the schedule that is otherwise really big. For some people, that's making sure they go for a run. That's making sure that they meditate every day, uh, that they spend a half an hour with their spouse without the TV on or, you know, and just talk, whatever it is. 
figure out what fills your bucket and make sure that you are doing that on a regular basis because otherwise you don't have the capacity and the bandwidth to do what's necessary in the work. Such a great note to end on in terms of of self-care for us all. So Kate, I really appreciate that. So I want to acknowledge you and give you your flowers for uh, the leader that you've been. Obviously, I, I had a chance to to see you uh, up close uh, in person in terms of, of our opportunities to to share space during our time at Butler uh, and want to also congratulate you again on uh, your opportunity to be the president uh, at the institution that you that you lead. And so I'm hopeful that that community is grateful for you. And I'm very sure that our audience will be grateful for uh, your stories as we get a chance to launch this episode. Oh, thanks, DJ. And likewise, it's really fun to see you spreading your wings and taking on new leadership roles after we were together at Butler four years ago. Thank you. Thank you. And so to our guests, as you transition to work or home from work, as you head into lunch or you're transitioning in between meetings, as you transition into professional development time, you may have for yourself each day or each week. And as you transition between work and the time with yourself or the time with your loved ones, Let's reflect on and consider incorporating what we've learned through these extraordinary impactful leadership moments into our lives. Thank you for tuning into the Hughes of Leadership podcast. And remember to ask yourself, what Hughes will you use today and which will you seek to further develop? Thank you.